Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is an American-born entrepreneur and adventurer. Raised in Beachtown during California's Golden Age, he became a self-described well-educated surfer who gathered real-world experiences and realized that the prescribed life path was not for him. He currently lives with his wife in southern Brazil, and he's also an admin in our private Facebook group at expatmoneyforum.com. Please welcome to the show, Jim Leonards. Jim, how are you? I'm very well, Mikhail. It's good to see your face again. It's been a year. Exactly. You know, you came over to Panama. We got to have a very nice dinner and a very good conversation. And we've been friends for several years now because of our group at Expat Money Forum. So I think it is very fitting to have you on the show. And I'm excited for today's conversation. Start by walking us through your backstory a little bit. Let's go into why you left California and maybe why you chose Brazil. Let's see. Why did I leave California? Uh, Divorce. Started it. You know, I had one and a half million frequent flyer miles. And whenever my kids weren't available and I was under a non-compete because I sold my equity in a software company that I founded, I was Mr. Mom. When the kids weren't available, I just got on a plane and went where I was comfortable. So in the beginning, it was Chile, Peru. And then was on the way back and uh, stopped. And I don't know if you remember this. You remember The Economist magazine with Cristo Hedentoa taking off off of Rio and it said Brazil rising? I don't remember that specific one, but I've been a, I've read The Economist since for well over 20 years. But yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was 2007-ish or so. You know, Brazil's economy was taking off and I was in Santiago getting on a plane to fly to LA and thought, I said, hmm, interesting. And then I ended up in a Deloitte office in downtown LA on a rainy Monday. I was interviewing. I was going to go back to the corporate world because I had to divest as part of the divorce, the software company, because the valuation was just the argument there was just too big. And I said, well, I know how to take care of valuation. You sell it. Right. So I, I literally packed the bag, told my partners 30 days, I'll be back. And give me your best and final offer and we'll we'll be done with this, right? Picked up that magazine, read it, said, I don't think that agreement I'm going to sign is going to include Brazil because we've never done business south of Panama. And off I went. So, yeah, that ended up later on getting me back here and I fell in love. If you want me to go into that, just tell me. 
Yeah, let's dive into Brazil. So you just you came down to Brazil for a vacation to see what the country was like. No, 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 no. Much different than that. So I read this magazine article and I'm in that Deloitte office in L.A. and everything's backed up. I'm waiting for an interview. Right. I had called one of the guys I had gone to grad school with and said, hey, I want back in because Cap Gemini had bought Ernst Young Consulting and I had gone to a boutique firm for a little bit with basically managers and above started that firm in real estate construction development. And I knew I couldn't go back there. So the only other big, well, five or four at the time, because there was a transition point right there that had real estate practice was Deloitte. And I had guys that were in management over there from grad school. So I called them, they got me the interview. And long story short is I'm standing in the lobby, spoke enough Spanish, but I hadn't really been using it to know that what I heard was, I mean, you've been to Brazil, you speak Spanish, right? Mm-hmm. You knew it was close, right? And so I turned around and because of that magazine, I had I knew two phrases, bom dia tudo bem. And she was speaking Portuguese on the phone. So I said, she hung up. I said, bom dia tudo bem. And she looked at me and started just going off. And I was like, <laughs> that's all I know, right? Long story short, IBM Professional Services had a contract administration and billing unit in Sao Paulo, and she was in the United States every 30 days or so. And we just started a friendship, and then she said, why don't you come to Brazil? So first time I was in Brazil was uh, Sao Paulo. She picked me up at the airport, took me to Campinas. She had to work, and we drove out to Ilabela. Do you know Ilabela? I don't. Tell me about it. It's a resort island. You go to Sao Sebastião, right, outside of Sao Paulo, and then you take a ferry over to the island. And I had never felt at home in California, the United States. The only time I ever felt at home was in the ocean and the Pacific Ocean, because the Atlantic never really was right. The smell was never right. You know, I traveled to other places to surf because, like I said, self-described, well-educated surfer. And... I'm sitting on the beach in Ilabella. It was my first experience with caipirinhas. I had four in, in an afternoon. So <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> and I'd be eating shrimp, and it was April. It was off season, but the weather was still good. And I saw this thunderstorm across over, you know, the channel on the mainland, and it came, started heading our way. And I, you know, everybody leaves the beach, including my friend, right? And it basically almost dumps on me and I'm smelling Brazil with the soil getting wet. The ocean, like I said, I was happy because I was close to the ocean. It wasn't my ocean, right? But then I smelled Brazil and I was like, it's literally an epiphany. I mean, my vision of the savior wasn't there, but I was home. Sure. And so, so then it was just, okay, how do I make this real? And I had responsibilities in the U.S. I had two children that were not adults yet. They're both adults now. And I just started, well, several. Uh, I still have over a million frequent flyer miles. So whenever the kids weren't available, I got on an airplane. And I was Mr. Mom the other times. And so that started and I traveled all over Brazil trying to find where home was. Well, I definitely understand your affinity for Brazil and the feeling of home. I've been traveling for 23 years. And I've been to Brazil a dozen times. Now, the first couple of times were Rio and Sao Paulo. And 
And I liked it. It was good. You know, it was for me, it was another country. And then I made it to Southern Brazil and I made it to Florianopolis. And I'm there with my wife and we rent a vehicle and we live in there for six months. And we had a nice, cute little apartment. It was just a pair of us. And we go to the beach and we were there off season as well. It wasn't peak season. It wasn't hot weather. We were wearing winter jacket and a beanie, a toque and walking down the beach and meeting people and having capering. Here's my jacket, my Dow jacket. That's what I wear when I go out. Yeah, people seem to think, oh, it's all thongs and sunshine. And it's like, no, Southern Brazil gets proper cold. Yeah. But I I look at the water. I look out at the ocean and I swear it's made of diamonds. Like it just, it sparkles yeah. in a way that nowhere <laughs> yeah. else, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, just, yeah, exactly. There's that interplay of the light and the clouds and the ocean being disrupted by the wind. There's a sparkle to the ocean there that's insane. I mean, I lived in the South Pacific. I lived in Asia. I lived in the Middle East on the Indian Ocean or on the, the Persian Gulf. I lived all over North America. I live here in Panama on the Caribbean and the Pacific. It's yeah. not the same. It's just not the same. That water in Southern Brazil, if you haven't seen it, if you've seen it, you, you I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't seen it, you think, Mikhail, you're so weird, like you're crazy. But you got to see it. It's was, for instance, Mikhail, when the first time you were in uh, Lagoji Conceição, and you were across, sorry, I almost said ta to you, <laughs> as if you were were speaking Portuguese, and you go, you start across the the little bridge there. I know it to head over towards Praia Mole or uh, Juquinha, and you look at the color of the Lagoa, or even as you come over from Centro, right. Yeah, and down the hill, and then that scary winding hill that comes <laughs> yeah. down, and somehow you see people cycling up it, and you're like, what? My lungs would be burning after about 25 seconds, and these people are going all the way to the top of the mountain. They're crazy. Yeah, and, and the motorcycles passing you on the two-lane road yep. with surfboard carriers strapped to the side. It's just, but it all just kind of works, right? Yeah. So let's... Since we're having the conversation, and I know others are listening, right? That's about the time I started heckling the hell out of you in the group, right? About your port, your Portuguese. Yeah, because my pronunciation of Portuguese. Yeah. Yeah. And you were one of the reasons I stayed very involved because I, been, you know, I'm a long-term expat, and I really don't interact with expats. I believe you got to be fully assimilated and speak the language. And I think that's the safest way to be in a culture, which tying back to your other podcast, Parallel Systems, I believe it was the title. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That gentleman in Poland, he's playing my game. He's just playing it in a different place. But you put up with my abuse, you know? <laughs> I like the abuse. I want to be called on it. I'm not shy of it at all. I mean, if you're on the email newsletter at expatmoney.com, Hey, if you say something to me, let's let's discuss it. Let's talk about it. You know, I'll I'll go through things. Yeah, and yeah. that's how I am. Some people get offended by me. Sure. And you know, and I'm okay with that because I tell my daughter who's 25 now, right? If everybody likes you, that means you don't have an opinion that that's worth a damn. Sure. What's important, and I think it's why people put up with me, and I, I'm sure it's why you put up with me, is I can push people's buttons and all that, but it's because I want to know what you think. And all I, I, if we disagree, I don't care. All I care is, is that you're polite and your ears open and you can disrespect my opinion. 
And I'm completely okay with that. But if you disrespect me or somebody else, you're going to get it. Sure. Well, I think that it's important to have conversations that, okay, so a lot of the millennial generation will not have confrontation about anything. They're very confrontation adverse. I don't care. I mean, I'll talk to someone. I'll tell them if I think I'm wrong and and I'll go through things line by line. I mean, let's let's discuss it. But I agree with you. You know, the ones that I usually call out on the newsletter are the ones that are swearing at me or screaming at me about something. And it's like, oh, I never said the F word to you. I mean, like I, I didn't call you these types of things and I won't do it as a response. I mean, I'll I'll go through line by line on why I think they're wrong, but I'll still keep it pretty civil, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I've actually got, I don't, I don't know if you ever saw it. And, and again, total respect for you, right? Because like I said, you put up with me and I and immediately I knew you got me, right? You know, I literally posted and you know, I'm a long-winded bastard. Okay. Sh- I don't know if I can say that, right? You could say no problem. Yeah. I mean, I apologize publicly in the group for being less than I should have been. Sure. And I had talked to Susan about it. And I said, you know, I screwed up. I need your opinion. And I'm going to apologize. And I'm not touching that piece again. And yeah, that's if everybody acted that way, I'd be okay with it. And I would make my life and Susan's life and Mark's life and everybody's life easier. That's what we need as a group as a community and by extension, a world, right? And for everybody listening, so this is at the expatmoneyforum.com. This is our private group with probably 12 and a half, close to 13,000 people in the group. And Jim, one of the reasons that I personally asked you to step up as an admin on the group is because you do write out thoughtful answers and you you take the time to respond to people. If people don't like the answers they get, well, that's their decision. That's how they view things and the world. And you're not responsible for anybody else's feelings. But I do like that you'll get in there and you'll call people on their BS and you'll be very frank with them. It's not even BS, okay? Before we started, right? As we were getting ready to do this, because I like to stand in the backgrounds. I'm not the, I, I don't like to be the guy, the front, the front guy. But I shared a thing with you. I had an interaction on an other expat group, Brazil group, right? Young man basically wanted to tell me all about Florianopolis and Southern Brazil. You know, he'd been there four months and he was just spewing crap. And, you know, I called him out and then he got, I'm trying to be good. Okay. He got all butthurt, (laughs) you know, and told me I was a jerk and didn't know Brazil. and, And I've had people in our group do that to me. I don't know South America. Uh, okay. Uh, I think I kind of know it, you know, I, you can disagree with me, but if you're going to tell me, I, I don't know what I know. And I have a problem with that. And I'll, I'm, I don't have a problem telling you that. So again, I don't know why the hell you chose to talk to me, but <laughs> <laughs> if that was the reason. Okay. Otherwise, you know, well, I think it's fun to have you on the podcast because you are a valuable member of the community, Jim. You have been very generous with your time over the last couple of years and sorting people out and answering a lot of questions. And I like you. I think you're a good guy. And you and I have sat down and shared meals together. And we've talked on the phone. That's important. 
It's, it is important. You know what? It's so important and not enough people realize that in today's day and age. They feel like everything can be digital. Everything can be online. I think that there is still something to shaking a man's hand looking them in the eye and and sharing a meal with them. I mean, that might be an old-fashioned kind of thing, but I think it's important. So do you know the genesis of why breaking bread is important? Tell me. Okay. My understanding of it is, is when two people get together and they share a meal together, that is an admission that they are open to having a real relationship because that's a way, good way to poison somebody, right? So when I let you into my home and feed you or whatever, or share, you know, a drink with you or whatever, it's a bonding I will never get in the digital age. But I'm driven in the digital age now, right? I, the whole group, I, my whole interaction with exclusion of Panama, three days, two and a half days on my way home to Brazil, right? That's it. I don't, I've never met anybody in the group outside of that. And I'd hope to go to Florianopolis more than I have since I've been home. But I haven't seen my wife in almost a year because of the death of my sister and all that. And so we're, and I was, I've reorganized the way I approach the world. And maybe that's where we take the conversation, right? I was shocked that, and don't be offended by this, you know, that I'm just kind of opening the conversation, that you were a guy who was involved with crypto and everything else. And then I heard your podcast of what am I doing? I, again, if I get the title incorrect, forgive me. But you start saying, I'm in real estate, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, uh, <laughs> Mikhail and I are approaching the current situation the same way, right? So how would you think that I would get offended by that situation or that statement? Mm no, but you know, a lot of the crypto guys are very uh, protective of the crypto space. I get that, right? Yeah, I've never been a like a crypto bro. Like I first of all, to set the record straight, I'm not a Bitcoin maxi. I think that there are some other great projects out there, but there are 99.9999% are absolute crap. I mean, I've always said that in the last 7 years that I've been involved in crypto. I like a lot of the ideas on Bitcoin on sovereign money. But I did release an episode of what am I doing with my own money? What am I doing with my own life? And I really outlined the way that I see the world. Because to be dogmatic about these types of things is a disservice. I think that we need to be transparent and 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 open to new ideas. Now, I've been into real estate for well over 20 years, but I am certainly reorganizing a lot of my life away from equities, away from large, like, I mean, I still hold crypto, but the percentage wise might be lower than it was. And I'm really going into tons of foreign real estate. And the way that I'm holding it, I'm very careful about. I, maybe I'm not taking the same types of risks that I was before or looking at it the same way that I was before. But we have to modify, you know, because things have changed. The world changed. So we have to change as well. Yeah. I mean, the crypto thing, it, I totally get it from a decentralization. The scariest thing, I mean... What was that movie? You're probably too young to remember this movie, right? You're, I'm 61 and I know you're 40-ish, right? Mm -hmm. So Sandra Bullock had a thing called The Web early on, probably 90s or 80s. And they basically made her go away. They shut off her identity in the digital world, right? Well, I, I think that's what we're starting to bump up against, aren't we? I saw that there was a gentleman, an English uh, guy, he just, uh, his bank closed his account. 
English politician, yeah, and yeah. very outspoken on a lot of these things. And now well-established large bank have shut his accounts and now going out there and trying to open accounts at other banks and they're refusing him because of all the publicity in the news. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and you're Canadian, your baseline is Canadian, right? My baseline's American. So I have to approach the world differently than you because of the way the U.S. government wants to treat U.S. citizens, right? And so real estate's the one place I don't, I don't have to declare it until I sell it. If I have a gain, then I have to declare it. Otherwise, I don't. And it makes my life simple. You have to conform, but real estate opens up the world. The other thing that really interested me, what you were talking about, is you're getting involved with ag, right? Agricultural land. Is that true? Yeah, a lot more of this. I'm Well, we can discuss these ideas on the pluses and the negatives because I'm. it's one of those things that I'm investing in and I think it's the right play. But at the same time, I also see that there are individuals out there who are actively trying to destroy the food supply and destroy the sharing of food. So that that kind of makes me nervous at the other side. Like, do I want to go to war with these people? I mean, that's... Well, let me, let me into my way of thinking, the evolution of it, right? I've always liked ag. I think when I was on one of your conference calls with regard to the school in the chat i said you know i'm just a well there's two phrases i'll use to self-describe okay well-educated surfer boy and a dirt farmer i don't know if you remember that but i said you know i'm just a dirt farmer right i think where you and i differ in the way we approach real estate is i actually put on a pair of mud boots and i'll i'll dig a canal bust it open if i need to i'm not a daily farmer but I'm on the farms every week. And I've taken my, the way I approach farms from a couple of big pieces to, I don't want anything bigger than 10, 20 acres. And I want them subdivided, ready to sell in pieces if I want to, from a cash flow perspective. I don't, because that makes the, the problem with real estate is, it's, it's rather illiquid. And the problem with land is, it doesn't cash flow, but Agland does. And if I can structure deals that make sense and then, you know, leverage in my weirdness, I have no problem getting and digging a hole. I've got no problem shoveling manure. I also got no problem making sure that the capital needs of the operations are is covered such that we get to where we want to go. And so that's allowed me to do things that I don't think a lot of people are looking at. Well, definitely the difference is not that I would be unwilling to do those things. I'm not making that comment, right? I don't have little kids and all that other stuff. My wife doesn't care if I go away for two or three days. Sure, sure, sure. Because what I have really realized over the last decade is that helping other people with my style of work, my industry, you know, the immigration, the tax, the relocation, that's my calling. And that's what I've dedicated my life to. And then I try to figure out ways that I can best serve people. So it's not that I would ever be prudish about rolling up my sleeves and doing farm work. Actually, I started working in farms at 12 years old, picking the weeds out of bean fields. That was my very first job. And I was doing that eight hours a day as a child. Another commonality. 
So it's never going to be like, oh, Mikkel is prudish or you don't want to mess up my delicate, my hands or something like this. No, I did manual labor jobs for many, many years. I always try to think now is like, how can I best serve people? And that for me is, is writing and is speaking. You know, those are the two things where I have the core competency and I can do better than anyone else. And then I leverage my time by paying other people to do things where I don't have that expertise. I need to learn that again, right? Because I got to the point where I don't, I, I would not trust anyone unless I was doing it myself. And quite frankly, I'm not the smartest guy in the room on everything going on, right? The other thing, and let me see what your opinion of it with ag is. You said, well, let's let's go back to if they want to control us, they need to make us fearful, right? If they want to control us, they need to control where we live, how we access things, our money. Yeah, medicine, health. What else? The food. The yeah. food. Yeah, the food. all of it, right? So the ag and all that goes, how much have you been paying attention to the loss of heirloom uh, ag crops? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm not going to be able to quote you figures by any means, but definitely... No, but one of the things I've noticed, and this is the other thing, right? If you if you go to a small level ag, you need to make sure that you you do things that are allow you to make a profit, right? Because in monoculture, they do it by volume. It's commoditization, right? Correct. When you go small, you've got to play niche. So heirloom species helps, organic helps. How much do I say that I I don't want everybody running in where I'm playing, right? But there are crops that pay more money, right? A kilo of corn doesn't pay the same as a kilo of uh, shrimp or a kilo of uh, mushrooms. The quality of my life is better if I've got lion's mane mushrooms in my diet, right? Because it has neuroregenerative things in it. And forgive me, and I'm well-educated, right? I'm kind of a science nerd mathematics nerd okay <laughs> undergrad was chemistry and econ and then i got i wanted a phd in chemistry and had to take the consolation prize because i got allergic to everything in the ochem lab right and i was you know my where i wanted to go was organic synthesis so that allows me to do things in the farm that you know the typical farmer wouldn't be able to do but i can't i'm not a farmer and so we're leveraging different ways of growing in small footprints and allowing to have high turnovers. And I mean, I kind of alluded to it, shrimp, fish, integrated systems, containers, heat pumps, so I can control the temperatures in my greenhouses. It's funny, right? Where did I get the ideas for that? Uh, there's a bunch of guys up in Alberta, Canada doing it. I'm not a prepper, though. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at, where I'm playing. If somebody were to ask me what you're doing all the time, I'm either with my wife and taking care of family or I'm trying to figure out how I can get as much independence and freedom because they don't control my food. They don't control this. They don't control that, right? I sweep all my, my bank accounts. I sweep them every month. Do I worry about storing gold? Some, but not much because... I know what my rate of return is and I know what it what it that it tracks inflation. It just happens to have fur and hoofs. 
those kinds of things I feel safe with. I don't feel safe in the financial world. Sure. But let me push back a little bit. You feel safe because you're in Brazil. Now, if you had the same type of setup and you had livestock in California, how would you be feeling today? California is a dead state walking. I mean, that's one of the reasons I put in the bio for you. I lived in the golden age of California. One of the reasons I'm educated is, I'll I'll give you a for instance, sometimes the millennials piss me off, but I've got two kids that are, you know, I I got to be 31 in August and my daughter's 25, right? Both of them will have completed college. My son, he's certified air conditioning and he's a Navy certified welder and works in the ports of LA Long Beach, right? And he makes damn good money, but he doesn't, he knows he needs to get out of California. And my daughter, she wanted her education. I'll give you a, for instance, University of California, when I went, $1,275 a year for an undergrad. Wow. What's that, a week now in California? It's 18000 <laughs> in state. My graduate school education cost me $7,500 a year. It's $65,000 a year. I could work because I had skills. My grandfather had made a deal with me. If you become a tradesman, then we can work through the school thing afterwards. If you go earlier, you, you know, it's, we'll figure it out, right? I became a tradesman. So I could work piecework over the weekend and make more than enough money to you know, pay for my tuition. One weekend for grad school, I had to work three weekends. Let's be real. But that doesn't exist now. What does an apartment cost in California now? You know, it's, uh, that world doesn't exist. So agriculture in California, predominantly all monoculture, big fields. Have you been to California? Oh, yeah. Many times, many times. Yeah. Have you, have you drove the Central Valley? Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a monotonous drive. Yeah. Brazil's different. Brazil's really different. You go up, if you go to Mato Grosso do Sul or Mato Grosso Strait or you go into Sao Paulo, it's different. South's a very different Brazil. It's very independent. I mean, my wife will tell you she's Gaúcho first, Brazilian second. You know, we fought a civil war. Independent fighters. Do you know about uh, Giuseppe Garibaldi and Anita? Mm, No, tell me. Okay, so Giuseppe Garibaldi was fleeing Italy because he was trying to, he was fighting a civil war there, came here, fell in love with Anita in Laguna, Santa Catarina. And she was a unique woman, and she was fighting in the Civil War with uh, where Santa Catarina and Rio Grande do Sul was fighting Imperial Brazil. Now, the Santa Catarina portion was only four months long, but Rio Grande do Sul, they pretty much fought that war for 10 years, right? There's a very deep culture here, and it's very independent, very independent. So... I feel very safe here because that's the tradition here that's baked in. That doesn't exist in, well, I think maybe it exists some in some parts of the South for the worse for the U.S. currently. But here I'm, I feel very safe here and I feel very safe in the small farms and everything else. 
Super exciting news. We just released our first in a series of expat guidebooks. These are in-depth country guides on how to move to another country, and the first one released is Expat's Guide on Moving to Mexico. It took us over two years to compile all the research and write this book on Mexico, and coming in at 475 pages, you can really see how much work has gone into this. It's a complete guide on everything you need to know if you want to move to Mexico, including where to live, immigration, taxes, lifestyle, buying property, how to get a driver's license, and a million other things you would never think you need the answers to. You can find the book directly on Amazon by searching for Expat's Guide on Moving to Mexico or go to expatguidebooks.com, which will take you to our online shop where you will find the book. Go to expatguidebooks.com. That's expatguidebooks.com. Well, this goes to my point on the caveats with investing in agricultural land. Would I be investing in agricultural land in Canada than the United States? Absolutely not. They're doing all kinds of weird things and saying that fish have COVIDs and bird flu and we're going to destroy your entire flock and stuff like that. I just don't see that coming to southern Brazil. I don't think that no. they're going to allow or stand for any of this nonsense. No, 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 no. There's no way. There's no, I'll, I'll give you a, for instance, I, I was started down the path, by the way, you know that I'm slightly on the spectrum. Okay. okay. Just so you know. <laughs> um, Thanks for clearing that up, Jim. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm, my, my sister uh, did her thesis on autism in early eighties. Right. And when my other sister passed and I spent some time with my sister in Arizona she was like, I'm worried about you. You're I'm worried that you have executive executive function problems, which is Asperger's, right? Anyway, long story short, how much do you know about seed banks? More about that than your other question. So that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So seed banks is there, it's actually illegal now some places in the United States to access the crops that need to be pollinated. Right. Which means that you can't get all the ones they allow you to plant. You can't get seed for sure from pulling it off the plants. Right. Letting mature that to that phase. Um, the other thing that you have to worry about is and we have this problem in Brazil. I'm going to tell you a really bad joke in a second. OK, okay. I'm going to give you a warning. <laughs> Monsanto. Right. With their uh, Roundup glycophosphate. Right. So, you know, that's your genesis of your genetically engineered crops, right? Genetically modified. They're patented. Well, there were some problems, not really in this area, but up in Parana, where farmers were getting sued, even though they weren't using that seed because they were upwind of, of the guy or downwind from the guys that were using it. And now the genetic markers were showing up in their crops. And a lot of these guys would save seed. For the next year, but now the seed has the marker in it. And so somebody would show up in the field and take a sample, and then suddenly they get a letter saying, We're suing you, right? Copyright infringement, patent infringement. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen this in the States for decades now. I mean, yeah, yeah. So, you know what we call those guys that were sneaking into fields? Tell me. Fertilizer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it happened, but that's kind of the joke. It's it's not cool. Leave me alone. Let me do my thing. Don't take my money from me because you don't like my opinion. You know, that's that's what it's about. So and for Southern Brazil, besides the culture and, uh, you know, I'm home. I don't feel that risk. So 
gauchos always have a knife on them, right? Because we we need it to cut our meat up when we do shahasco, right? If you look at any of the stuff on YouTube, you see very nice custom knives being pulled out to cut shahasco, right? <laughs> and there's a lot of guns here legally. So the criminals have to worry about that. I'll give, I'll give you another thing. You know, we hear a lot in the pet world, people knew they're worried about safety, right? So how do you feel about safety? What's your take on safety? I, it's the same as mine. I already know, but I, I want to hear you. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we recently did an entire episode just on safety. I believe, like I, I had someone actually comment to me. No, it wasn't a comment. I'll, I'll quickly tell a story. I got interviewed the other day on, on someone else's program. And this was a, a Bitcoin maxi. And he's going on and on and on about El Salvador. And wants to know my opinion on El Salvador. And I tell him that there's legitimate safety concerns there. And he says, no, I've been there twice. I've been there twice in the last two years for a week each time and nothing happened to me. Therefore, you know, he didn't say it in so little words, but basically, therefore it is a safe country. Like That's really a dangerous way to look at this. This is a really a tough way to look at it, you know? Keep going. I want to hear how you perceive this. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, if the only judge of safety is that you didn't get murdered while you were in the country, that's a pretty like narrow line. Like that's a pretty razor thin between safe and not safe, right? Yeah. I've been traveling for 23 years. I've been to 110 countries. I've been to North Korea and Iran. I've been all over Africa, most countries in Latin America. I have never been robbed. I've never been mugged. I've never been held up at gunpoint. I've never been beaten up. I've never had any of these ha things happen. That doesn't mean that I only went to safe countries. Actually, I went to safe countries and I went to not safe countries. And we can look at, well, what are the markers? What are we judging these things on? We can look at the statistics and government records. We can look at what do the local people say in the area and, and base on their experiences of living in the country, but you can't just make a judgment on your own like little narrow subjective piece. So I'll be very transparent and I'll be like, okay, I live in an area in Panama, which traditionally is considered safe. However, when I get out of an Uber at night, my security guard is right there. I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. I have my keys ready. I come out. We go straight to the door. I'm taking an Uber black. I know where the who the Uber driver is. It's all documented. I get an email about it. If my, my wife, my mother, my family, they go out, we know exactly where they're going. I live in a very considered a very, very, very safe area in Panama. However, I have situational awareness. I look after myself. It comes down to personal responsibility for me. So now you can look at, okay, 23 years of traveling. Did nothing happen to Mikkel because A, he's lucky, maybe. B, because he only went to safe countries. I'd probably argue with that one. Or C, because he takes responsibility and makes sure that he's not putting himself in dangerous situations. So it's you know, it's not a clear cut. There's like, a, there's a little from each of them, a little bit of give and take on these things. But for a cut, for someone to just go, I go to this place and it's safe because nothing happened to me. For me, that's, it's bonkers. Like it just makes no sense. Especially over two weeks. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I'll compare and contrast. Okay. I've been held up one time by gun. It was in Irvine, California. There you go. Now here's where I get, I kind of get upset with expats because I take responsibility. I know Orange County, California. I was raised there from the time I was three months old. I did something stupid. 
Sure. At the wrong time of day, at the wrong place. I've only had one issue in Brazil, and it happened in September of last year, and it was my fault. And I'm going to share it with you really quickly. Now, note, you know me. I, I know you have many Brazilians uh, you know, that you work with, right? Mm-hmm. They probably would tell you I, I know Brazil pretty well. Definitely. Okay. So I live, when I was gone for the... A long period of time, I was talking to my wife. I said, you know, I want to do this, 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 and this. We, we were living in a very nice place in Porto Alegre. We had a flat there. Good neighborhood. Probably I'm more comfortable living down. You know, I don't need the, the best neighborhoods and all that, right? My wife decided that we didn't need, we were leasing the place, right? She decided we didn't need it anymore. So it was May before I saw you and I called my wife and there was all kinds of noise. I'm like, what's going on? And she says, oh, I'm moving. I'm like, would you find a new man? And she's like, no. (laughs) And she goes, you told me that you wanted to start working again. So our lease ran out. So I'm moving back to my old place, a flat that she owns, right? That's where I'm at today. I'm 300 meters from a favela. Mm. I don't go over there except for during the day. I'm also, you know, if I go the other direction, I'm on a ma- one of the major streets in Porto Alegre, and I've got the private bus system that runs right by the front of my complex, right? But we had a cat get sick last September. My wife loves cats. I'm not a cat person. Okay. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and the cat's got having problems. I'm like, that cat, if we don't get that cat to a vet, that cat's not going to make it through the night. So. We went to a 24-hour veterinarian. And so we were there. We got there at midnight. We got finished at 12, no, 2.30 a.m. And we called an Uber to go home. And I knew it was right on the right on the edge from a very good, safe place to a really bad place. Uber says he's three minutes away. It's super busy upstairs. There's apparently a lot of animals having troubles. Guy takes us down to the lobby. And so... It's second story is the vet, bottom story is a pet shop. So we walk outside at 2.30 in the morning in a place that I know the next block over is a bad neighborhood. Some of the Uber, it's cold. I got my down jacket. I unzip it. I wrap it around my wife. I'm holding her. The main road's maybe 100 meters away. Uber's coming. We can see it. Then all of a sudden it says, no, not two minutes, four minutes. So now we're outside longer and the sky comes around the corner. Now, it's September in southern Brazil. It's cold. It's 2.30 in the morning. And this guy's wearing shorts, Javianas, and a tank top. And I'm like, S word. I don't know what I'd get away with here. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I take my wife and I put her behind me. And the guy comes up and he's like, give me money. I'm I'm looking at the guy. And I'm like, I don't got any money. I just paid for the cat. Veterinarians are damn expensive. And he looks at me, and my, my, I hear my wife wrestling, and she goes, I've got some change, right? And so I'm like, i got some change, too. And I reached in my pocket. You, you know Brazilian uh, Cambio. Gave him eight hay eyes. Yeah. Right? A buck 60. And he's looking at us, and he's trying to figure out what he, if he wants to believe this or not. And then the Uber comes around the corner, and the guy sees the Uber, and he takes off. And I get in the Uber and the Uber driver goes, what was going on? Like, we just got robbed. <laughs> he goes, how much? Did you see a gun? I'm like, no. I go, it's like, you know, eight hay eyes. And he goes, 
that's scary. I'm like, yeah. And I look at my wife and, you know, my wife's fifth generation of Porto Alegre. I go, we both screwed up, right? We forgot because we're worried about the cat. We forgot about the important thing here. We're damn lucky. So that goes back to your guy who's been in El Salvador twice. I was in El Salvador in 84. It was a different El Salvador then. I was there in 2003 and it was still a very different El Salvador. I mean, yeah. The expats don't get it. They don't get, many of them don't get it. Like there's a guy on the forum that said, uh, tell us your worst experience with bank or that wasn't banking. Anyway, worst experience as an expat. And the guy wrote, I go to the bank and they don't speak English. So, you know me, I'm going to ask, well, where the hell were you? So he comes back. I was in Haco Beach, Costa Rica. And I'm like, well, I understand your frustration, but you realize Costa Rica is a Spanish-speaking country. I'm like, I feel your frustration, but how long have you been there? This is what I wrote in the response. You know, I'm sure it showed up in the moderator queue, potentially uh, adversarial. And the guy, the guy responded and he said, I've been here four years. Now, I think that's irresponsible. I do as well. I think that learning the local language, learning the local culture and history, it falls under the, the umbrella of personal responsibility. Hence why I have, on a very regular basis, talked about courses, that, courses, programs, things that, like real resources that people can use, like storylearningcourses.com, my friend Ollie's program. I used it. I actually used it myself, and I can actually speak Spanish because I went through with it. I didn't just show up in an expat country and then go into a bubble and only speak to Americans and Canadians. I have Panamanian friends and we go out for drinks together and we chit chat. And when we were eating together, your, you know, your family was with me. I observe. Okay. That's one of the things I do. I observe and you and your wife were carrying on a full conversation with the waitress in Spanish. No problem. That's another validation, you know? Okay. Mikel's real. And back to the point. The digital world's great, but you need to sit with people. For sure. So, yeah, no, I, I totally, uh, yeah, that. So I was good, Mikel, right? And you didn't, you didn't hear what I said to him was, "Hey, put some time in on that Spanish. You won't get as frustrated." Instead of you bleepity bleep 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 bleep, <laughs> which I'm capable of, I admit it. And and quite frankly, sometimes I've gotten blocked by group members, which, you know what, it's unfortunate because if I thought I was out of line, I'd probably reach out and say, hey, I was a bit out of line, but that I'm precluded from that. I just, I think responsibility and, and being patient with each other and being respectful of the places we live in and the culture that we live in and assimilating to those things, it's all about respect. 100%. And if we just, if we disagree, don't stop talking. Try to find the common ground. And I change my opinion from time to time. I know that many people won't believe that, but I do. I'll listen to you. And if, oh, shit, I was wrong. No, I think it's I think it's also, well, definitely personal responsibility, what we mentioned, but also a sense of maturity. You know, there's so many people right now, especially in this divisiveness world that we live in right now, that they think that changing their opinion is a, is a sign of weakness. And they have to like double down on all of their opinions and really plant their feet. And I think that this is a terrible way to do it, actually. I think that we should be open to new ideas and we should be discussing things and let's talk through it. And as to your point on 
learning the culture and adapting yourself to it a hundred percent. That's why this program is called the expat money show. It's not called the tourist money show or go to an all-inclusive resort money show. I mean, it's about really connecting in the country. And part of that is showing the people of the country that you respect them by learning their language, learning their history, learning their food and their culture, having local friends. I mean, that's, it is a piece of the puzzle. Okay, this is back to my, I'm a little, dis- you know, I have some issues on the spectrum. Remember Mr. Garibaldi and Anita? Yeah. Guess where they left when they left Brazil because they were kind of, you know, they the war was over and they were not kind of, uh, ha- the Imperial Brazilians were happy. Guess where they went next? Tell me. Uruguay. They helped Uruguay get their freedom. You know where they went then? Italy. And that's when Italy became completely free. And there's a huge stat. You've been to Rome, right? Yep. I was there last year. Yeah. Do you know that there's a statue of Anita Garibaldi overlooking the Vatican? I may have seen it and not even realized who it was. Yeah. She's up on the hill, not in the Vatican itself because Mussolini put her there because he was having, he was having an argument with the Pope. And so he put her there as a, Hey, freedom fighters. Don't forget, right? The hit to know the history of a place is amazing. It's amazing. And it does nothing other than make you open to perceiving the world in a way that is respectful to others and actually might make you smart. I mean, I, I suffered from the American education. All I knew about Latin America educationally was that Teddy Roosevelt ran up some hill somewhere in Cuba, I think, right? And then the wars that allowed us to see to uh, take parts of Arizona and New Mexico and make it the United States, right? I had no idea. Hey, you want to know about the independence date of any country in Latin America? Just if you don't know, just say 1820. And everybody, but nobody understands the connection of that. That's the beginning of the Monroe Doctrine. And that pushed, the United States was incapable, but allowed the British to help the Americans push everybody out of the Western Hemisphere. And that's when all those guys walked, everybody, Brazil walked away from Portugal, everybody else walked away from Spain. It puts it all into context and you you start understanding it. You want street cred? Tell a Guatemalan that he used to be part of Mexico after he got done bashing Mexicans. Literally, woman said, then that's not true. And then the next day she came out to me, she said, oh, my God, it was true. I'm like, yeah, I know. Yeah, or Panama and Colombia or British Honduras. And I mean. Yeah, and, and you live in Panama. It used to be part of Colombia, but most people don't know that. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, it's just once you get to that level of understanding of the history and the regions and you understand, it just makes everything easier. It gives you so it, it makes it so much easier for you to assimilate. Well, talking about the historical part of it, there is actually a really phenomenal Netflix series. I'm not a, a huge TV person, but Bolivia, it's a 60-part miniseries. I'm not sure how many it is at 60 hours, but it's his entire life from childhood all the way up until the very end. And it goes through... In- Time in Boulevard. 
Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. well worth watching. And I watched it in Spanish. So I actually got to watch it in the native language that it was attended to, opposed to dubbing it or something like that. But even if you have to just read the subtitles or dub, it's very well done. And it really explains a lot of the history in South America and what they were going back and forth on and his entire life. It's very, very interesting as a, as a good starting ground for people who are interested in this history. I'm going to have to watch it. You know, the other thing I, I would want to convey to people about Brazil that haven't been here is I don't think there's any other country in Latin America that loves Americans the way Brazilians do. That's a pretty strong statement because I think that a lot of Latinos really love the U.S. and have this. The U.S. has done a phenomenal job of exporting culture. I think it's their their largest export in the world. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you don't get... One of the other big topics in the group is gringo pricing, right? Sure. Okay. Gringo pricing exists here, but I don't see giant 40-foot-tall blow-up statues of the Statue of Liberty anywhere else in Latin America. Okay. Did you get across the bridge over to San Jose when you were yes. in Florianopolis? Yeah, of course, of course. Did you see the big the, the department store with the big 40-foot-tall Mm, does sound familiar actually now that yeah. you mention it yeah because there was a, a churrasco restaurant that we used to go to weekly and it's so good um you would get over to sao jose and go to the south yes and it was on the ocean side of the freeway yes correct yeah correct. i know which one you're talking about that's so cool <laughs> unbelievable food unbelievable yeah no it's amazing yeah so you know i've never felt gringo issues here you know i felt them in other countries panama is not so much right because of, of the well there's a long conversation there the panama canal right but yeah well you also can't gouge expats in panama because they make up such a large percentage of the population that it's yeah. just like yeah, it's like you couldn't gouge the Chinese here. They're too prominent, and they told too much things. And oldest neighborhood, a Chinese neighborhood in in the Americas. Correct. Yeah, I mean, ten percent of the population is Chinese. And anyone who's listening, don't take this as China has massive influence on Panama. And they're going to take over. <laughs> I'm, well, you know it's coming. You know it's coming. No, what I'm talking about is that they helped dig the canal, and they've been here for five generations or seven generations in the country, and they're included in everything that goes on here just like expats expats have been here for decades upon decades and there are ne expat areas and it's they're very open and welcome to expats so same type of thing yeah no i i don't feel once you get assimilated you really don't have an issue of of getting gringo pricing right now if you if you go to certain areas like you know the north part of uh florianopolis right yeah, there's going to, you know, everything's going to be way up price-wise. Which is still way cheaper than the U.S. or Canada, by the way. Value for money is just insanely good. I looked at a flat here here in town just to let, you know, the audience know. Good neighborhood in Puerto Alegre. Not the best, but good. Could walk to shopping, nice area, yada, yada. Three-bedroom, three-bath, patio, a prep kitchen and a formal kitchen. Chojasco on the patio. Whole thing, Shohasco inside the house in the prep kitchen, the whole game. Three bedroom, three bath, patio, 337,000 AIs. Wow. And it's what, five point? Yeah, I'm doing the math right now. So what is that? <laughs> it's like about 65, 60 grand. 60, 60 grand? 
call it 60 grand. Yeah. Where can you get that in a city of 5 million people with yeah, an international right. airport? You know, and, the, and that's the other thing. One of the reasons I love the South so much is if I draw a thousand kilometer circle around Porto Alegre, that stretches all the way to the outskirts of Sao Paulo, all the way to Buenos Aires. Yeah, and Montevideo. And- I've got an airport. Montevideo, everything's here, right? I go to Montevideo four times a year, drive it. One of the questions in the expat group was, why isn't any money being spent outside of Montevideo and Punta del Este? I'm like, have you looked at a, a, a population density map? I'd be pissed if they were spending 40% of the tax revenues out. There's 10 people per square kilometer if I was a taxpayer in that country. So... You know, it's just that's the other reason I feel so safe here, because if you take that circle and then you take another circle like where you live, a thousand kilometers. Well, now you've got you've got all the major population areas in Colombia. You don't get into Ecuador. You've got a hub airport. I don't have a hub airport, but from here I can get to Sao Paulo in 45 minute flight. I can get to Panama on a direct flight. Those are the areas you got to look at. The other thing to think about in those regions is that. All of those areas, southern Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina, those are all friendly countries. I mean, like, what's your relationship with the Uruguayans? Like, I hear Brazilians in southern Brazil going, oh, they're like little brothers to us. We love Uruguay. There's no problem. I mean, you tease each other about the football and stuff like that, but yeah, it's not like these are do. contentious borders or, or any problems like this. No. So, so for instance, if, I drive to, if I'm going to drive to Montevideo, the border town is Chewy. Or shui, if you want to say it, you know, more Brazilian. Border crossing? Really? No. You're supposed to check in, but you you know, if you're in town, if you're in the Uruguay side of Chui, nobody cares. It, unless you're going to go speeding, you can get down in Montevideo. And if you're a Mercosul, if you got, if you're Mercosul, you're Mercosul. So no one's going to care anyway. Exactly. It's very, very, very different. That's the other reason I feel safe here, because... I can get in a car. I can be in Uruguay in X hours. I can be in Argentina X hours. I can be in Paraguay X hours, right? Or I can be out of here, jump on an airplane. Well, when we've we've had recent conversations about a possible World War III, if you look at what's happened in traditional world wars over the, the last two, where was the safest place in the world? It was Argentina. That's where people were fleeing to. Brazil and Uruguay. I mean, these were the places that people were going to. And you want to know why? Because I'm a numbers guy. I'm a big, hard math person, okay? You know how far I am from Taiwan? <laughs> I don't know in numbers, but I know... Um... No, I'm 18,000 miles away. Okay. That's a long ways. Yeah. You pretty much... You probably are closer if you drilled a hole through the earth to get to there than from here, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm... Sitting today, 7,000 miles away from D.C. Now, the, the shocking thing is I'm about the same distance to London. <laughs> yeah. But, but people don't understand how far east South America is, right? This place is very isolated. So if the stuff hits the fan, it's probably not going to happen here. And it's going to happen, it's, you know, just my opinion, it's going to happen somewhere between Europe and Russia. Uh, or it's going to happen somewhere between China and Japan. And that doesn't leave a lot of distance. So I, I, that's the other reason I feel safer. Yep. And food independent, water independent, energy independent, friendly with their neighbors. 
there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, which again is you hitting all the points. I'm sitting here going, is that guy reading my mind or are we just on the same page, right? No, we're on the same page for sure. Yeah, no, so, you know, that's kind of where my head is. I really appreciate the fact that maybe people will understand I'm not trying to be a dick. It's just my, it's just my character, but I'm really not that, I'm really not (laughs) that. Did you literally just say... I'm not trying to be a dick. It's just who I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's just, you got to realize I was raised in a house with academics, two okay. parents that were academics, four children. It was completely okay to have an argument, but you better come loaded with information. 100%. And then you had to disengage and you had to say, okay, I respect it. The only thing that didn't, didn't get you in trouble was if you... You could say anything you wanted to, as long as you could defend it. If you were just blowing smoke, you would get attacked by everybody at the dining room table. And so that's kind of of baked into me. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Jim, brilliant conversation. I love it. I'm so happy to have you on the show. And if anybody wants to see all the conversations and the the interactions that we're talking about, make sure that you guys go to expatmoneyforum.com. Jim, thank you so much. If people want to reach out to you, if they want to learn more about you, where can we send them? Right now, just go into the expat forum. I'm actually, I alluded to you before, I I do a lot of uh, writing. I'm probably going to put up a blog soon. And I I will let you know that it's out there. And I would not just post something on the group saying, hey, I'm here. Of course, no problem. Yeah, you know we'll, we can figure out how how it is. Facebook doesn't. I, I'm not going to solicit you DM me, but Facebook doesn't stop you from DMing me, and I'll be a friendly guy. As long as you come locked and loaded with your arguments and your respectful. <laughs> no, you, it doesn't. You just be respectful. You can tell me I'm a complete idiot, and I'm probably going to listen to you as long as you're polite. And I think we could, as a world, be in a much better place. And it would allow us to push back on the the real assholes. I'm a, I'm a pseudo asshole. The real assholes that want to take away your freedom, because that's the only way we're gonna we're gonna get past the very interesting next ten years that we have. And the only way that we're gonna give we're gonna hand off our legacy to our children. Well said, Jim. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Again, sir, you're the only person on the internet that the internet that probably could have gotten me engaged, probably to the detriment of many people on the internet, because you're straight up. And I and I tell people all the time, or I'll ask people, why do you stay in Mikel's group? And and they all stay say the same thing. I know he's a businessman, yeah, and everything, but very matter of fact, allows people like uh, me to exist. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thanks, brother. And by the way, those that listen to you, this podcast, I offer people, if you're in Porto Alegre or you're in the South and you want to you know, sit down and have a meal or whatever, I say, just let me know. And I, if, I, if I'm available, I'll try to make time for it. For sure. Though, though, that's genuine because I believe that you have to know the people face to face. Agreed with you. Absolutely. All right, my friend. All right. Have a good day. Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. 
For those interested in moving to another country, I highly recommend learning the local language before you arrive. After traveling for the last 23 years straight, I have seen many people fall into the expat bubble trap. This is where you move to a new country and you only talk to people from the USA or Canada and you are unable to make local friends. The best way to combat this is by having an understanding of the local language. And the best program I have ever seen for this is storylearningcourses.com. These are the programs I use to go from very crummy language skills to fluent in no time flat. The courses are fun and easy to understand and most importantly, really work. No matter where you are in your language learning abilities, go to storylearningcourses.com. That's storylearningcourses.com to learn more. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.